Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about the risks of mediocre white dick. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, they pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm an elementary educator, and I use they, he pronouns. <laughs> Today, we are looking at 1995, Five. 1995's Pocahontas, which... Held up better than I expected. Yeah. I expected a lot more explicit racism yeah. than um, was presented. It was it was a good time. The music's always good, uh, as always. If you haven't seen Pocahontas and have been living under a rock with as you have with the rest of these Disney movies, uh, the plot is pretty simple. A bunch of colonizers come to the New World to try to exploit the resources and get met with resistance. And then a Romeo and Juliet romance happens. Yeah. Because why not? As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. You can also leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thank you. And- so I started seeing a new therapist, right? Uh-huh. Which like... New therapists are always weird and like it takes a minute to get used to him. It seems seems to be good. But like the more I get back into the therapy process and the more Disney movies we keep watching, I keep wondering if Disney Animation Studios just needs like a giant therapy session for all their parental problems. Totally. That's exactly what I've been thinking the whole time. Like there's not a good like parent relationship in this like entire catalog. And it's like, do y'all, like, do we need to talk about, like, how the silent generation was parenting? Is that what's happening? Because y'all are traumatized. Yeah, because, like, and I feel like it's Like, I get that we all have fucked up relationships with our parents, but, like, we didn't make a, uh, you know, billion-dollar industry to talk about it. We went to therapy like normal people. Right, or, you know, got comedy careers. Right. I mean, you know, we all deal with our trauma in different ways. But I feel like a lot of this, a lot of this, it, a lot of these movies have like kind of the same themes, especially in this era of like parental pressure trying to make you fit one way and you f- pushing against it and feeling like you don't fit or that your path yeah. is somewhere else. And like, because I mean, we see it with Jasmine and Aladdin. We see it with Simba kind of like pushing against him trying to be king yeah. and now we have Pocahontas who is like literally questioning which path to take and yeah. like which uh how to live her life outside of her father's dictation and I, yeah. we see it again in the next like five movies right yeah I mean I definitely think like the struggle of living up to your parents expectations is a universal one. Oh, absolutely right like yeah. I think all parents of all time have always wanted a lot for their kids that is whether or not that is within their reach yeah and like we also just started thinking of children as their own unique human beings. Right. And not just as like extensions of ourselves. Right. And like, it's still revolutionary that we're like, no, your child is going to be different than you. Right. And have like different priorities and expectations. And you and need boundaries. to respect that. So like, of course, when like so many people are like, well, my parents told me to do this and I just didn't. It's like, of course you didn't. You're not your parents. Right. 
Like, like, yeah. Do you think that in in this era of Disney, do you think the reason that we see so much parental pressure is because we're looking more at the relationships of uh, fathers and daughters than we are with like? Interesting. Because like, yeah, because um, we don't really have a lot of moms no moms are dead we don't deal with moms in disney it's weird right yeah no moms don't exist in disney because moms will care for you and actually like like what is the first like real disney mom mother gothel is she actually but she's not actually no uh her mother no that's true um like um the only Mer- one I can Merida's mother, Merida's from Brave, and I was like Frozen, Fro. But they they both die. Simba has a mom. You're right. Okay, so the animals can have moms, but not the humans. Not humans. Trouble. I don't understand. Like, I get them, like, the general misogyny. Like, yeah. that's part of it is just like, well, we're not going to put an extra woman in here. God forbid. <laughs> I mean, Peter Pan has a mom. Also, uh, not Peter Pan, but Miss, Mrs. Darling exists. Yeah. As a human being of a woman. But Yeah, I guess. But it's, like, pretty rare. Yeah. No, like, I think... Although, as we get into the later, like, more recent Disney movies, then we do start talking about uh, Mother's Expectations because there's, like, Seeing Red, or uh, there's Turning Red, and um, um, in later movies we have, you know, we don't really start looking at mom relationships until, like, the late Disney movies with, like, Encanto and Turning Red. So, like, we eventually get there. And I guess in Inside Out, too, we kind of talk about relationships with the mom. But, like... I feel like this era in particular, we're really looking at like father daughter relationships. Yeah. Which is a particular thing. It is. And especially in our culture has a lot of different takes on. Right. I was going to say, I feel like we probably could do a full 90 minute podcast about just like the fucked up social dynamic of like men and their was like it you who children. sent me the po- the TikTok about like girl dad merch? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, that was me. That mm, where it's either touch my daughter and I kill you, or my daughter is just a financial burden. Those are your yeah, two options. Yeah, those are your two options. Which like yikes, right? Like what a fucked up relationship you have with women and with like your female children specifically, right? Jesus. Yeah. But at least it, I don't I mean to be honest I think the like boy mom stuff is way is maybe grosser even. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just like all just dripping with emotional incest. Yeah, it's uh it's weird. But um that's your ch- a whole different Your children are not there for your emotional support. Oh my god. Please understand. Your job is to take care of your children, not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, no, but at least in Pocahontas, her dad like actually kind of listens to her for once, right? And like, she's able to like change his mind and like you know have opinions, which is revolutionary for women. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. 
Although, like, for as, like, misogynistic as these movies often are, like, it it is cool how many, like, sort of strong, independent yeah. women we get. Like, granted, the moral of most, like, the point of most of these stories is that they should stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we get it. It's less. It develops as we go, it obviously. De- yeah. It wasn't there in 1937, No, I'll but, say, like, but like, we've got Jasmine, who's like obviously headstrong and right, was like, go exactly. fuck yourself, I'm not marrying for your stupid laws. Precisely. And then we've got Mulan, who, which we'll be talking about next week, which is, you, you know, who is very much like, nah, fuck this, I'm going to go like, kick some ass. Fuck your expectations, fuck your gender roles. Uh, and then, you know, we... I feel like, yeah, we really start to get more, like, solid femme and female presentation and, like, representation in this movie, in these movies. And I, but we still kind of have a very, like, Mulan is kind of the outlier, but we still kind of have very narrow expectations of womanhood Mm -hmm. in, like, everyone's still tiny. Right. Everyone still doesn't have a nose. Right. Um, you know, uh, everyone is and, valued for their beauty. And a lot of them, the stories focus specifically around a romance with right. a man. Yeah, because, like, there's a scene, like, the scene where Pocahontas f- first meets John Smith, and he, like, jumps out of the waterfall and doesn't shoot her because she's pretty. Right. Like... That's cool. So you you're a racist unless the person is pretty. That's great. So it's pretty Super pr- cool. So pretty privilege can save your life. Yeah, exactly. Which, like, if you're pretty, if you're pretty enough, white men won't <laughs> murder you. <laughs> That's still not true, though, is it? No, not at all. No. Uh, but yeah, I. Mm, it's just like yeah, I. I do appreciate that we get more variation, but it's still not quite like as diverse as I would like it to be, which yeah. I mean, we get better as, and we'll talk about it as the years go on and we keep moving forward. And, um, but like these first ones, like they set the, they start setting the stonework right. for sure, but they're still like, we could totally do better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, all my favorite Disney movies are the ones that are specifically not about a romance. Yes. Because it just sucks. It sucks that so much of media about being a young girl is about meeting a boy. It is. Right? And it's, it's still centered on men. It's always centered on men. And it's like not realistic expectations of what romance looks like. Exactly. Because... You don't, you don't fall in love in a week. <laughs> no, like you've met this man like four times. You do not sacrifice yourself for like, okay, maybe you do for the betterment of your like community. Even when you're like a teenager and you're fucking stupid. Which like, like you don't, you don't fall in love with a person to the point where you'd throw your whole life away in a week. No. That's- Two weeks, maybe. <laughs> That's one of the gayest things you've ever said. I'm in a straight passing relationship right now, which is maddening to me because it is the queerest relationship I've ever been in. Yeah. Um, It's so, it's still like, 
baffling to me. Not that I'm yeah. trying to say that I don't think that you pass. No. But it's like it's so baffling to me that you just get like read as a masculine person. I don't get it either. In public all the time because I don't think of you as a masculine person at all. I don't think of it as either. But like everyone at work uses he him pronouns for me even though I'm like they them or like they he and I'm like mm, mm. Re- 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 really with I, I'm look at me. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Like it's one thing with my kids because like kids don't understand, and I'm not. I haven't had that conversation with totally. my kids because my kids cannot comprehend. Yeah, my kids need boxes, and it's fine. But yeah, like I'm always just like, wait. People will be like, oh, he's over there, and I'm like, who? Huh? Who's what? He? Who's <laughs> who's over where now? Uh, oh, me or like. The teacher is gone now, thank God, because it drove me absolutely fucking crazy. But this one teacher would always call me Mr. Micah, and I'm like, whoa, mm, that's not right. Weird. That's teacher Micah's fine. I don't love it, but like Micah, it's just Micah. Yeah. yeah you don't. I'm just a human. You yeah. don't need to put an honorific in front yeah. of my name. Even I'm not like crazy about like Mrs. No. Like when people call me like Mrs. Hack, I'm like, no, I don't. That's fine. You don't have to. (laughs) Okay. That's why I just want to get. I just want to get a PhD so that I could be like, it's it's, it's doctor. doctor. It's doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh. not a Mrs. I'm a doctor. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that might be the queerest thing you've ever said. <laughs> I do really appreciate the one thing about this movie that I absolutely really appreciate is that we do put an arrogant white boy in his place. <laughs> it is always good to see an arrogant white boy put in his place. Like colors of the wind is pretty like, of course, but like, of course some woman of color has to teach you how to be empathetic because mm. of course, but at least color of the winds is pretty much just like a slap in the head going like, think about other people. Right. Like, Hey, maybe um other people have different, like priorities and expectations than you you it's just like that's such a like white colonizer viewpoint of like well obviously because your advanced society doesn't look like my advanced society yours must just be like backwards and stupid like you just must not have heard of exploiting the land right before and maybe in like rather than just like it had occurred to you, and instead you made a different choice <laughs> right? to not exploit the land. We chose something different than you did, and therefore... And we have different priorities, so like we didn't have to ad- like develop advanced weaponry and... Uh, no, we know. learned how to talk to each other. <laughs> right. We learned how to sustain our own local communities so that we didn't have to... And make everything we need so that we didn't have to have giant cross-continental trade systems it's yeah no it this movie is very like this is like a really good example of like how colonization actually worked yeah which is really nice that it's not like it still apologizes it for it in a way that I, does not make me happy yeah but like at least is not hiding the fact of like how destructive and how like what's the word I want it doesn't hide how like destructive and absolutely like devastating it was to the local areas totally 
and to the local populations and like you know it actually vilifies the colonizers for once instead of making them the heroes which is always a good vibe yeah i forgot how well they illustrated how colonizers had dehumanized the native populations Mm -hmm. and like really made sure that they were you know seen as inhuman and right uh dangerous instead of and like we see it on both sides but like specifically from like all of the settlers and the explorers right um and it's was really fascinating to be like oh we were having these conversations in the 90s and then we just stopped yeah that is like an essential like an essential ingredient in right like white called the whole white yeah. colonizer engine right right like, it is the yeast that makes absolutely like, white colonization rise because like if you can't dehumanize the people that you're genociding then it's going to be a lot harder to genocide them yeah right so you have to turn them into like animals right in a way that is like disgusting yeah uh in order to be able to you know genocide them or for example enslave them in mass right or whatever yeah it's uh and turn them in camps <laughs> i could wait yeah as someone who is like highly empathetic it drives like i don't understand yeah how you can have that disconnect and yeah. like how you can see people as anything but people right and like see that that is always a thing that has like been i don't understand it and like i understand like how you do it like like i see like socially and like through the propaganda and like i can see the mechanisms on which you do it Mm -hmm. but like i don't understand how you can't you don't see it for what it is right right which, like, I know is, like, a me thing, but, like, also, it's, it's also, like, why is more people not like this? It's, like, a neurodivergent thing. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I also, like, this is a thing we've seen a bunch, and it just sucks that we're kind of still doing the, like, wild girl must be tamed narrative. Yeah. Like, especially in this context, it feels like kind of racist and gross yeah but the way even in the you know that's like such a runner through particularly disney movies but like you know movies about young girls in in general is like you need to grow up and be responsible with the undertone of because we know the men around you are not going to right like we talked about this in Peter Pan about how mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Wendy is not necessarily growing up faster than her brothers, but she is forced to grow up and is expected to grow up faster than right. her brothers. And it kind of is the same thing where women and girls are not allowed to continue having this wild, unlike fettered um, joy and access to like what brings them joy right and like have that sense of adventure because they are expected to you know take care of everyone around them right which is responsible which is like something that unfortunately is still true today i like yeah because like growing up i wasn't you know it wasn't explicitly told so that like you know you're responsible for everyone around you but like i definitely felt the pressure of like you know as the daughter as a daughter it was my responsibility to make and es- sure and especially as the eldest oh, especially as the eldest daughter um you know that like so 
like my parents are wonderful human beings and they did their very best but like there was still pressure to like do be perfect to like make sure that like you know I was living up to their expectations that I was setting the example for my little brother that I was you know like and that I was in control of my emotions the entire time and that I was aware of everyone else's emotions all the time right and like because like I was I was a wild child like I loved playing outdoors I used to make mud pies and you know like I bet you were you know I was I was that kid but like I remember losing that and it changing like around middle school when like all of the pressures to like all of a sudden I'm supposed to be like thinking about dating boys and like worrying about what clothes I'm wearing and all of that. Yeah. Which was like such a sudden shift that I was like, oh shit. And especially as someone who is who's neurodivergent, I was like have to like reprogram my mask and like really taking in everything. And it was, really weird um i know this is a sidetrack but i think it might be interesting my mom let me start like picking out my own clothes when i was like uh, 11 12 Mm -hmm. 13 and i very specifically remember being very overwhelmed by it that's fair to the point where i basically had i'm describing an autistic experience i basically had like one outfit yeah and then i basically just like bought variations on the one thing because i found it really overwhelming and until i got to high school i still found it pretty overwhelming to dress myself yeah i'm wondering if this is if this is an experience you also had and also if you would have wanted someone to keep picking clothes for you or if you would have preferred to just like have your one outfit the whole time you were see I those like five years I had the opposite experience Mm. where like I was allowed to pick out my own clothes but like there were limitations interesting like I wasn't allowed to get jeans until I was in like seventh or eighth grade huh and like I never like elementary it didn't matter like yeah. it, i was comfy and that's all that mattered and no yeah i remember right? that too in elementary school i could not care less what i wore. No, and sixth grade was a little bit better like different like because again you're like sixth grade is kind of still elementary you're kind of in that like yeah. young age um that was elementary still for me yeah see mine was six seven eight was middle school for me yeah. um but I remember like specifically seventh grade is like where everything shifted for me. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that was I changed schools. Sure. And I went from a larger public school to a smaller magnet school. Oh, uh-huh. So like suddenly like everyone knew everyone and yeah. like I couldn't blend in as well. So yeah. I had to worry about everything a lot yeah. more. Um, And I remember not, feeling like I had control over my wardrobe the Mm. same way that other peers did because like again we love my mom my mom's great my mom (laughs) has done a lot of work since then but like my mom was very much a second wave feminist and like you know a lot of like the fashion in the early 2000s was not like especially for femme people was not necessarily the most modest or like <laughs> yeah no <laughs> you know, uh you know or like quote unquote school appropriate yeah um so like i 
get why I had limitations. Like, mm-hmm. but also like, I definitely feel like I never, I think also part of that is like being gender fluid and not like knowing, yeah. you know, like, but like clothes never felt right. Like I, ne- I struggled and I still struggle today. And like, which is why I think it's like such a gender fluid problem of yeah. like, I, if, if, if I could, if I'm being honest, if in my ideal world, I would probably have three outfit changes a day <laughs> just because like my gender switches so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And like, I will like start off the morning feeling super femme. And then halfway through the day, I'm like, Oh, this is all wrong. Um, which is obnoxious, but is part of it. But like, yeah, now I do the, like, I have the same outfit in different rotations, Yeah, but that's mostly a convenience thing for work. So I don't have to think about it. Yeah. Um, but like, I think for me, I definitely wanted more control of my wardrobe and I would have like, I would have really loved to have like, let me choose my own clothes. Yeah. Maybe that's also just like, that's also a difference in our respective parents. Like, yeah. Parenting style. Absolutely. My parents style is very much like, well, you're, you're on your own. You're Good you're, luck. You're grown now. This is what <laughs> yeah. we're doing. Yeah, that's really it. You're grown now, so um, good luck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> they said to an 11-year-old. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, where my parents were like, oh, you're 15. You still can't do anything by yeah. yourself. <laughs> I haven't even like looked at my notes yet. Yeah, totally. I have. Oh, okay. So... Since we've been talking about the fem the feminine blah 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 Since we've been talking about how femininity runs in these movies, we should also talk about all of the toxic masculinity bullshit that we see in this movie. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. Cause like one line that like really stood out for me is when Radcliffe is talking to Thomas and is just like, you're not a man if you don't know how to shoot. Yeah. Which like, I wrote that too. Yikes. You're not a man unless you can create acts of violence. I mean, which is, I was told basically the same thing in as many words as a child. I was going to say, I'm sure you heard something similar to that. Yeah. From my hunting martial arts dad? You bet I fucking did. Which, like, that is... Wow. That is a precursor to how you have to feel about yourself. Right, right. And it's like... So much of masculinity is defined around violence, right? It's defined around, like, the ability and the potential for violence. Right. And, like, what must that do? I mean... Let me tell you what that does to your head as like a young masculine child to be told that like your value is in the ability to take other people's lives. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's it's so fucked up. It's to so put fucked that up. message in the head of like a child. Yeah, no, that's really terrifying. And like and also like I have this thing about how like sailing companies and shipping crews and the navy like yeah exploit this idea that young men have that like they have to do something stupid in order to be masculine yeah right like i think the ideas of honor and glory were invented to trick young men 
into dying for a cause that they don't really benefit from. Absolutely. <laughs> Which that checks out. Right? Like none of these guys are getting rich, but no. some of them are definitely gonna die. Yeah. Right? Like in the real version of this, right? Like some of you are going to die on the trip. Like some of you are going to get lost. Some of you are going to die of disease or scurvy or whatever. Yeah. Like, and none of you gain anything from it, but because you've been promised this like fake virtue that doesn't really translate to anything, then you can agree to be exploited. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely like I, my relationship with masculinity is weird. Uh, <laughs> Same. Just, just keep it there. Um, but like, I know that a big thing that stopped me from really embracing my masculine side and like something that I still struggle with is like trying to find ways to feel masculine that don't conform with what is told is masculine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cause like, I am not a violent person, nor do I want to become one. Uh -uh. And yet that is where a lot of like masculine energy comes from. Right. Or is seen, mm -hmm. which like is ridiculous. Yeah. And like is absolutely disgusting and learning how to be a mask person without subscribing to toxic masculinity is so much work. Yeah, I... And is not something that anyone really tells you how to do or how to talk about. Yeah, I have to imagine that being a masculine person and trying to be like a good non-toxic person in the year of our Lord 2023 is like a real fucking challenge. Yeah. Right? Because like you're getting so many toxic messages and like, you know, being a femme person is like no fucking cakewalk. No, either. no, it's not a like compare. It's, it's apples not a and comparison, oranges, but like, yeah, I can't imagine trying to build an identity that is both like very much masculine and also non, not toxic. Cause like I see it in my students. Yeah. My students are nine and 10, right? They're not, they're babies. Yeah. And I see, like, a lot of their first reactions are, let me get big, let me get violent to prove that I'm, like, worth something. And that, mm -hmm. like, you know, as soon as they start feeling insecure, it's they'll puff up their chest and get all, like, cocky. And mm -hmm. which is, like, one, calm down, calm down. It's fine. It's math. You don't have to get defensive <laughs> over math. It's really okay. But two is, like, holy shit, you're so young, and yet you these are still the messages you are receiving. And, like, this is your reaction because this is what you have been told is a proper reaction. Yeah. Which is disgusting and horrifying and heartbreaking. And that's mm, why I try to be as soft as I can at work to be like, there are other ways. Yeah. I do appreciate that, like, right now, all of the pairs in my room are masculine. That is cool. If you count me as masculine. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is like... like mm. <laughs> I want to talk about the sort of general... European sort of manifest destiny idea. Absolutely. That's one of the last sort of like big things we need to talk about in this movie. Yeah, we do. Because like there's a lot of little bits of like colonizer propaganda in here. Yeah, right? there are. You know, the like 
it's an open land like waiting for exploitation, right? Yeah. That like they all they see is like resources. I mean the opening number is like a whole propaganda right. thing. Yeah. Cuz it's like we've been told there's gold and glory. Exactly. Speaking of the gold part, so the gold thing started because when Cortez massacred the Aztecs, right. they had like huge gold hordes. Yeah. But like People speculate now that the power and extent of the Aztec Empire was so, like, large that they had actually extracted and, like, produced most of the available gold in the Americas. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) So, like, Cortez and the Spanish just... Got lucky. Got it. Like, they just got so incredibly lucky that... So much wealth happened to be accumulated in one geographic area at that particular moment uh-huh. in time. And then it started a whole fucking craze yeah. that, like, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, we didn't really learn from the mistake, if you think <laughs> about it. Because, like, think about the gold rush. I know. I literally was just going to say, like, the, yeah. We have still been telling this lie up until pretty recently. Yeah, like the whole like, again, like, yeah, the whole idea that like it's doesn't look like our land. Therefore, it is ours to take. Right. Is. Yeah. Like one also like as a fan of nature, just leave it be. Just leave it be. It's so pretty. Yeah. Why? Why would you want to tear this down for concrete? Right. Like, and also like, there's a thing that there's a thing that I think John Smith says in this movie, which is like this land, something like to the effect of like, everything here is like so perfect and idyllic. Yeah. Right? Like, how could it possibly? Yeah. And I wrote like, yeah, it's almost like a an existing populace of millions of people specifically designed it that way so that they could live in harmony with the local ecology. Wild. It's almost like it was perfectly designed for human habitation without exploitation. And you ruined a delicate ecosystem largely with smallpox. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like... Smallpox ravaged through the communities so badly that, like, by the time colonizers even got to North America, the population had already been decimated. Yeah, no. Because of contacts in Central America that had traveled. Yeah, no, it was not good. It it was not a a good time. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway, I knew there was going to be a lot of genocide talk on this episode. It was always going to be a grim one. It was. This movie does hold up better than it could have, though. Yeah. Like, I do appreciate, like, they actually seem to have, like, put in effort to try to make the Native communities, like, as genuine as they could. Um, I know that... There were a lot of consultants, one of them being uh, the actor who plays Pocahontas' father, who, like, tried to, like, work with Disney to make sure that, like, the village was as, like, authentic as possible and was a better depiction of Native life than Mm. we've had before. Because, like, comparing this to, like, Peter Pan is night and day. Yeah. Wow. Um, Is, you know, which is, like, the last real Native depiction we have. Oof. I didn't think about that. Yeah. 
But like, it's definitely like a. It was made in the nineties, and we could have done better. Totally, but it could have been a lot worse it too. Been so much worse, yeah. Um. So like, I do appreciate that. Um. My last thing is just I like is mostly a production thing. Um, I really love the use of color in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely wonderfully done. Uh, it reminds me a lot of like color use in Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, it like especially like if you look at like simple visual storytelling elements, like if you compare the two like opening scene, like the opening bits of like the English and the village, you have you know in when you're leaving the english shore and in the um storm like all of the colors are dark and muted and mm-hmm. gray and like very like monotone and like boring right but as soon as you get to virginia and you get all of the like natural beauty you have all of these bright pastel sunset colors mm. just all the way through the movie yeah. and like these gorgeous blues all the way through and i think it's really interesting to like have such a contrast like to tell like how like which side is actually thriving yeah and i think it was a really brilliant like subtle move to make make totally. um plus like i love all of the like neon uh not quite neon but like those bright pink and purple like winds. i know i love that stuff too oh uh, it's so good i kind of want a tattoo of it around my leg or something <laughs> but yeah, yeah. If it were 1996 that'd be a really cool right no exactly exactly <laughs> not gonna happen but it'd be cute um i also did you catch the like tree design? I love the tree design. I, it very much reminds me of the Sleeping Beauty it trees. It really reminded me of the Sleeping Beauty trees in like that but, forest. But like in a really pretty sort of naturalistic way. Yeah. But it still has like that same kind of like perfect yeah. like uh stalk, like yeah. straight trees. Um, yeah, anyway. Really no, pretty. I there was a lot of different variation of trees in this movie, mm. which I really appreciated because I love trees and trees are cool. And, <laughs> you know, trees come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And I really appreciated that. Like we did have like, you know, like the Sleeping Beauty era ask like straight uh, like copy trees but we also have like the willow tree where you have like a completely gnarled kind of like yeah. trunk and then you have like the big tree that um john smith and pocahontas meet under yeah. and it's like you've got a whole and you got all the pine trees and all that shit it's great it's i think they did a really good job of like showing how diverse the ecology of the area was totally yeah especially what it used to be yeah do you want to do a lightning round let's do a lightning round i love miko i want to pet miko I don't think Miko was fat enough. No, Miko could definitely be fatter. <laughs> but like they did his hands very well. I know, like, the little raccoon hands are great. He's always like rubbing them together. He's too. great. Uh, Flick is also phenomenal. Like I love Flick as a psych. I yeah. my, one of my favorite bits is when like Pocahontas and John Smith have their hands together and Flick just comes over and like splits them apart. Like, <laughs> nope, leave room for Jesus. Okay, but speaking of Flick, like we got a, the great Frank Welker. Who basically just like, if you have heard an animal or like a weird sound in an animated movie, it has probably been Frank Welker. Probably. I know this is like a Disney princess thing in general, 
but somehow it feels more racist when the native girl is like a friend of all the animals and yeah. they like come to her side. That that feels, feels bad. That doesn't feel great. <laughs> yeah. Despite having a dead mom, we still get a female like voice of reason and like parental mm. figure with mm. uh the willow tree which i really appreciated i think it's yeah, the, really the wise old grandmother is like a a good solid trope right um, who still kicks ass right exactly which i absolutely also love. a trope often employed by disney great it's a great we love a grandma who can kick ass it's great but yeah i really did love that like she is very genuinely like caring for Pocahontas and listens to like mm -hmm. what is going on in her life and like what is she needs mm -hmm. and like doesn't dismiss her as like being just a crazy teenage kid which you know a lot of people do right I think in a lot of these situations I don't know why this happens but I'm I'm thinking of I'm like drawing a parallel in my mind between grandmother willow and the grandmother character in moana totally and i think that this is an interesting role for like a grandparent figure to take which is like a grandparent can be a parental figure who is also honest with you yeah right in a way that because your parents have to think about your sort of day-to-day -day existence and the sort of expectations of your life more broadly. Yeah. They are not as capable of really leveling with you or not as willing. Yeah. In a way that a grandparent can kind of be like, okay, but we both know your parents are kind of full of shit. Yeah. Right? Like, we both know that, like, despite whatever people are telling you, like, what you're going through is totally normal. Yeah. And like you're not a freak. No. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Like grandparents can really be like an outside voice from your day to day, at least in an ideal situation. Right. And especially like in a situation like this, where you have one absent parent and then one parent who, because of, whatever his role in the community and also his expectations of you is like not really a person you can bring your problems to. Right. I blame this movie for my love of willow trees. I was just thinking that too. Like yeah. I willows are probably my favorite tree and I think it's because of this movie and how, yeah, the something about like, because willows love water, right? Yeah. And so they can grow like right on the edge of a pond or something. Little mermaid also helped kiss the girl. Oh yeah, they're very romantic trees. They are right? very romantic because trees. They cover. They like kind of create like a little covered. Yeah, space. exactly. Does having does the presence of Mel Gibson in your movie make your movie more racist? Yes. <laughs> just like by at least by associate. No, having Mel Gibson in your movie just makes it more racist. Definitely. I, I, I think that's why I can't get behind John Smith this time around because <laughs> I know who Mel Gibson is now. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And that's also like, 
He's also not a good voice actor. No, he is not. Uh, but Christian Bale as Thomas is great. Yeah. I loved him. I didn't even notice it was Christian Bale at first. I love uh, Bill. Uh, Bill. Fuck. What's his name? Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly is also one of the yeah, sailors uh-huh. and did great. Yeah. Um, and love then, Billy Connolly. Uh, and then uh, David Ogden, who plays Governor Radcliffe, um, who also plays Wiggins, his right, assistant, right. which is great work because they're completely different voices. Totally, yeah. And he was Cogsworth as well oh, in Beauty yeah. and the Beast. So, like, you know, that's we love a good yeah, variety. Yeah, you can really tell the difference, like, in his performance versus Mel Gibson's yeah. performance. That is the difference between a man who is a voice actor and the man who is an actor doing a voice. Yeah. There is a difference. Yeah. I do really appreciate that there's a language gap at first between John Smith and Pocahontas. Yeah. It did really bother me that the wind taught her English. It sucks that, yeah. It's, I mean, like, I get that somebody, there had to be, like, a process. Yeah, but, like. But then it's just, like, and then she speaks English. That's, that's tough. That's not that's not how that works. That's all I got. Oh, um, oh. a couple little things. Yep. Which is like Pocahontas has one of the smallest noses we've seen. Yeah, it's a Voldemort nose. It's a slit. It's like a snake nose. It, it is non-existent. And also, you cannot throw your life away for some boring white man dick. Like, come on. We have talked about this time and time again. Throwing your life away for dick is one thing, but boring white man dick? Come on. You don't fall in love in a week. No man is worth sacrificing your life. You will get over him. It's okay. But also, there's a Three Sisters planting. <laughs> <laughs>